talks about in Daniel chapter number 6 that Daniel in this book, we've all talked about that this is our faithful God through the worst of times that we go through. That the whole book is about God. But we're going to see God moving through his person now. We're going to see God moving through Daniel and the faithfulness of God being exhibited or shown by Daniel to everyone. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The reason that people don't want what we have or we say we have most of the time is because of this. Number one, it could be that you really don't have what you say you have the second reason is is because you're not living out what you have and we need to be consistent with people and to preach this morning I want to preach about perfect peace and about having that kind of perfect peace that only God can give Daniel in chapter number six if you've got your Bibles right there open we're going to read in the beginning of this first of all we're going to talk about that Daniel was faithful in person he was faithful in his character He was a guy that really and truly, he never really changed. He was faithful in who he was. And in being faithful in character, you got to understand that faithfulness, our faithfulness, God's faithfulness, is observed by everyone else in our character. Some people today say character is nothing. People today say it's okay for you to be who you want to be at home and in your own personal time, but yet if you're in leadership, you're in office, you're in a position of leadership or a position where people look at you, that you could actually do a totally different thing. That's a schizophrenic kind of idea. That means you could be one person here in position of government. You could be this person in position of president. You could be this position in pastor. But yet when you're at home, it's your own personal lifestyle to do whatever you want to. So if you want to have adultery, if you want to fornication, and you want to be drunk all the time, then it's okay because it's your personal time. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible never teaches that to any of us as Christians. He tells us this. If you don't get anything, understand this. Your character is everything. Because your character is wrapped up in many scriptures, Miss Patricia, as this word, your testimony. You say, Brother Steve, I'm not a teacher. You are. Every single person in here is a teacher. Every single age of person in here is a teacher. You may think that just the older people are teachers, but yet all of you younger people that are in here too, everyone on the stage and everywhere else, we're all teaching something. Every single day, we're teaching either consistency or inconsistency. We're teaching faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Every single day of our lives, we're doing that, and we want our children to see a good example. And not only our children, we want everybody to see a good example. Daniel was faithful in his character. He was faithful in his person. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says this, and I'm going to kind of read it out to you and kind of explain some of the things it says. Um, It pleased, they say his name is pronounced Darius. Because it's actually, if we look at it, it's it Cyrus. This word, this word Darius, and I want to take a time out. I say Darius. I'm like, I'm, you know, not Darius Rucker, but I, I say Darius. But they say that it's pronounced Darius because what it means, this name is not really a, a, a name of a, of a person itself. It could be a label of this person because this word right here means Lord and King. So there were many of the Persian and the Medo, uh, Medo or Midianites, uh, which they would call them, but it was the Medo and the Persian, the empires were together, that they would call this person that. So if Wes was a leader in the Persian empire, we would sometimes go to him and he would be Darius uh, Wesley, Brocus, right? 
And uh, uh, I wonder what broke us would mean over in their Aramaic. Would it mean he, he broke us? Uh, we have no more money. Um, but uh, Darius, if you look at it, Darius was a term of, of Lord and King. And so it says it pleased, and I'm going to call him Darius, so y'all can just have, have your way with me. But it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes. It says, which should be over the whole kingdom and over these three presidents or governors or rulers of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them and that the king should have no damage. The Bible says that what, what, what Darius did when he came in, and we believe this to be Cyrus the king, when he came in, he set these these leaders, and he, and he sectioned out all of this Babylonian area, and he, and he gave a portion to, to Brian, and he gave a portion to Daniel, and he gave a portion to, to uh, uh, Wes and, and to Drew, and he gave a portion to all these, and he, and he separated out. Basically what this scripture means is that when Darius came into the throne or into kingship, he actually delegated work out to the other people. And it says, and over all of those different areas or their, those, those, those princes, it says he set three rulers over them and he sectioned it out. And if you look at it real simple, he, he made senates and uh, senators and made all this stuff and just spaced everything out. But look at the next verse. The Bible says, then this Daniel was preferred above the king's and princes because, why? Look at these words, an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now you look at this. This is not somebody that he just kind of has known for the last 80 years of Daniel's life. We know that Daniel is in his 80s at this time. It's not that this King Darius or Darius knows that, hey, he, he's been this way or all that, but he has heard something. And when the first impressions, you ever heard this statement, first impressions are everything? When you first meet people, it's very difficult not to uh, associate with them uh, or, or associate them with the first time that you ever met them. It's hard to change that kind of thought process. So when Daniel met Darius, something must have been different. Something must have been so different and evident about Daniel and his character that this guy was really just blown back by him. We know that he was put in charge to be king for a day. You know what I mean? And so imagine as he comes in and he takes over. Remember last Sunday we talked about in chapter 5 that, that the Medo-Persians came in, took over, and Belshazzar's dead, and Nabonidus is dead, and all these kings of Babylon, the golden head is cut off, and now here comes the next chest portion of that image that he sees, you know, out of that silver and stuff. And so here as he comes in, and he sees Daniel right off the bat with the, with the scarlet, with the gold chain about his neck, and he's a third ruler in the kingdom. I imagine that he had to interview him. I imagine that he thought, well, if this man has all of this apparel on, I'm going to interview him because if he's just killed the king, uh, Belshazzar, evidently he wants to know what his intentions are. And somehow Daniel's character comes out that even this scripture says that he realized there was an excellent spirit in him. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit moved upon Daniel. But in this scripture right here, it talks about the excellent lowercase spirit was in him. It's talking about a man who had such character about him, such a godly character about him, that he was a consistent, reliable, friendly, dependable kind of person. And that is what this king wanted. In so, so much, church, that listen, the Bible says in that last portion of the scripture that he thought to set him over the whole realm. 
But he said, you know, instead of just us having those three, it's fine with me if Daniel's ruling over all of them. Then look at the next scripture. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They tried to figure out something that would go against the Medes and the Persians. But look at what it says. It says, but they could find none occasion nor fault. Why? For as much as he was faithful. There, they, and that's one of those things. It's that when someone is consistent in their character, it's hard to find, as we say, a chink in the armor. It's hard to find a, 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 a little bitty crack or something in the chain of their life in order to do that. And that would probably be very easy for some of us. We could find those things. And even if you searched in my life, you may be able to find some of those things. But Daniel was a man that the Bible says right here, for as much as he was faithful. And it doesn't say he was godly. It doesn't say he was Messiah-like, the promise of the Messiah. It doesn't say those things. It says that Daniel was consistent. Daniel was dependable. He was a faithful man, and neither was there found no error or no fault in him. There was nothing wrong with him. Now, some of you want to take this to the example of maybe Daniel was sinless, but the Bible has already declared in Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Job himself, which was an upright and just man, still had sinned because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was not Christ, but he was so much desirous to be like God, he was found faithful in his life. Daniel was preferred above presidents, above princes, but what made Daniel different from all of the other people that was in the kingdom right here? It wasn't his religion. It couldn't have been because they couldn't care less about Daniel's religion. They worshipped multiple gods, a plurality of gods all the time. They had many gods before them. It wasn't just that that was about Daniel. We had king after king that said Daniel's God is a God of God and a king of all kings that he instructs all of the things. But constantly they saw something in Daniel over and over and over. It was his character. Characters, everything. Listen to what John Wooden said, and some of you may know John Wooden. He was a basketball coach for the UCLA Bruins for like 10 years. Uh, in 10 years of his basketball reign, he had 10 national championships. Listen to what he said. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Absolutely. You know, you never thought you'd get a basketball quote from me, right? I don't look like the basketball kind of guy. This man said that it doesn't matter about your reputation. And what I'm trying to tell you is that Facebook and, and Snapchat and, and Twitter and all these other things, those are just highlight reels. No one ever wants to show the real life. Those are just moments of goodness. Every selfie is a moment of goodness. I have yet to see anyone in a bad day, in a bad spirit, and in a bad way that they've lost their family, uh, maybe they've had an accident, or maybe they were in sin and all that. I've never seen anybody go, you know, this is a great selfie time. Take it in a bad mood. Every selfie is like, ching, smiling. The girls, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, all that stuff like that. That's just what you're wanting people to see. Why? Because you're wanting them to believe that you're some kind of person. Well, if you want people to believe that you're some kind of person, don't focus on your reputation Focus on your character. 
Focus on your everyday person that you want to be. You need to be faithful in person. Listen to what Junior Hill said, a preacher from Hartsville, Alabama. He said, character is how you treat people that you don't need. If you treat people that do no good for you and that they have no, no, and what I mean by that is that they can't promote you to the next level. They can't lift you up to get greater things. If you treat them with no respect, with no dignity, no love, and no compassion, then I'm telling you something. When you treat those at the top, every one of them better have their eyes open because when they don't need you any longer, they're going to treat you that way. Character is everything. And when you try to be a man or a woman of faithfulness and of character, I promise you this, faithfulness is observed in criticism. People are going to critique you. They're going to offer criticism in your life over and over. If you're trying to be a man of God, a woman of God, no matter your age, listen to me, I've never in my life said you try to be a boy of God or a girl of God. It's always been man of God or woman of God. You know why? Because it doesn't matter your age. When you're striving to do that, in my book, you're a man and you're a woman, no matter what your age is. But you're going to face criticism. When you declare you're a Christian, people take their microscopes out and they watch you. They take their binoculars out and they observe everything you do. They listen now to your words more than they ever listened. If you were a person that had this mouth that was full of filth and garbage and just word after word after word that you spoke was just garbage after garbage, you notice this, that they never really said anything to you about that until the day you came to them and you said, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm different. From that day on, every time if you mess up, if you slip, if those words that you put in for years happen to come out, you know what they do? <gasps> I thought you were a Christian. I was sitting in a chemistry class. I know that you didn't think I would be ever in a chemistry class either, right? Basketball and chemistry, you're just shocking us at all means. Well, I failed chemistry class, by the way. <clears throat> but sitting in chemistry class, it was the first year I was saved. It was my senior year. I was born again. I knew I was saved. And, and I come back to school, and I was sitting there. We were sitting in the back. And so I'm in this big, huge tornado of trying to tell everyone I'm no longer taco, but I am a born-again child of God. And, and I'm in this tornado where people are still trying to pull me back, and, and sometimes people making me angry trying to get the old taco riled back up. You know, Anybody know what I mean? Anybody ever struggled with that before? And so I'm sitting there, and, and we're just talking and they look at me and go oh and I went what they said you just said the a word I said no I didn't they said oh yes you did you said it. you said it. I heard you and I was going no I didn't I did not and they were like we heard you and I said I'm fixing to you're fixing to make me say it right and what happens is is that you're so accustomed to sin and people think that just when you ask him to save you, that, okay, you'll never, ever be tempted to say those words again. And you all know that's wrong. I've heard you. Right? So you think about it. People never paid attention to that until you said, I'm a Christian, and now you're going to be in every article of criticism. If you mess up, deacon, you will be on the news. If you mess up, pastor, you will be in the newspaper. Everyone in town will know it. Everyone will spread it. You'll be the next Facebook post. You'll be the next gossip at the barbershop and the beauty shop. Because why? You're going to face criticism when you're trying to work on the character of who you are in God. So what I'm telling you is, is that don't let that take you by surprise. 
Don't let that drown you either. It sort of reminds me of the little boy that sold the lawnmower to the preacher. Y'all have probably heard this before. But the little boy sold the lawnmower to the preacher, and he said, Preacher, he said, if you're going to get that thing to crank, you're going to have to cuss it. You're going to have to curse at it and stuff. And he said, Son, I'm a man of God. I don't curse. He said, well, if you pull on that thing for a while, you'll get used to it. You keep pulling on it, it'll come to you, right? People, we need to be people of character. Let me ask you this. You see everything of me on Sunday. This is what you see. Most of you, this is all that you see because I can't get you to talk to me when we're outside of church. I chase you down, I flag you down, I run you down in Piggly Wiggly and can't get you to say anything, right? And, but this is what you see. And you, you have this kind of image of me and Patty to where perfect Patty and spectacular Steve never have any problems at all. And you come to our home. Let me ask you something. You come to our home, and you go open up my refrigerator, and there is all of my alcohol, and there is a, I don't have that, by the way, but there all of it is. And you go into the cupboard, and there's all the, the Jacks and the Daniels and the, and the Boone, all the stuff that's there. And then you come into the living room, and there's all kinds of pornography laid all over the car coffee table and all that stuff. What do you think about me here when you come to my home and you see me that way there? You think that I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I am not truthful, and that's exactly what people think of you and I. When we say we are men and women of God who have character, but yet when people see us acting out like that and doing those things, they now look at you and go, and you hate it when they say it. And the reason you hate this phrase when they say it is because you know it's true and it strikes you in the heart if you're a child of God. I thought, say it with me, you were a Christian. And you know what people are saying? You want to sit back and go, don't you judge me. I'll whoop you right here in the parking lot. That's why I've seen people get mad, fighting mad. But you know why? Because that's what they think you are. Because you told them that you were. And so if that's what they think you are, they have every right to go, why are you doing that? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a believer. See, faithfulness is observed in criticism. Look at how Daniel was criticized. Look at verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. If there's anything you wanted said about you, Brother Brian, it would be that that we can't find anything wrong with him, and if we're going to find something wrong, it's going to have to be in the way that he worships God. Amen? That's what you want. It says, Then these three presidents and princes assembled themselves, excuse me, assembled together to the king and said thus unto King Darius, Live forever, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a, a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Look at that statement. He said, all the people have gathered together and they've all come to this agreement. Well, I want to tell you, not all of them showed up for this meeting. And I know one who didn't show up. And you know who it was? It was Daniel. 
Daniel did not agree on this. Daniel was not consulted with this, and he did not agree with these things. And so now look at what it says. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Our words are always going to be judged by our actions. And so instead of us Christians saying, who are you to judge me? especially to a lost and dying person who will be lost for eternity, we should look at them when they find us guilty, and we should tell them, you're right. You're exactly right. I should not have said that. I should not have have acted that way. You'll change the perspective of those people. But when you blow up and go, who are you to judge me? They have every right to judge us. The world out there is going to observe us and they have every right to look at us and to try to find Christ in us and to try to judge our lives and set it as a standard to see Christ because they don't know Christ and they need to see him and if they're going to see him, it's going to be through us. You say, don't you judge us, but I'm telling you, if I had two oranges, you remember years and years ago, I brought this orange to church. I tried to get Craig Canada to eat this thing. I'd sit it on the back porch for two weeks, and it had penicillin all on the outside of it. I told him it would do good. It's penicillin. It's, it's green. And he said, I'm not going to eat that. And I said, don't you judge this orange. You don't know. This may be the sweetest orange that you have ever tasted in your life. You're judging this orange by the green mold that's on the outside of it. No one else would stand up. I said, anybody else stand up and eat it? No one would stand up and eat any slice of that orange. You know why? Because it was nasty all on the outside, and we judged that on the outside of it, what's on the outside must be cooking on the inside too. And I don't know about y'all, but I've never popped one open. And literally, I think you'd have to pop it open. You wouldn't peel that thing. It would just, right? Look, you sit back and you go, don't judge me, don't judge me. The world is going to judge you. The world is, all they know is to do that. That's why women take and they feel so just um, depressed and discouraged with themselves. And that's why every makeup commercial, every commercial with Jennifer Aniston and the, and the, uh, the, the pull-together cream, that's what I'm going to call it, pulls things together, you know, all of that stuff. And put all this makeup on. Why? Because they know constantly that you can't go anywhere but Walmart looking like that. Right? How many of you men understand this? And I'm not talking about women. My wife looks the best when she got a hat on and some sweatpants. That's when I go, about you go, wow, wow, right? <laughs> That's Hebrew for you look nice. Pretty, right? It, but she does this all the time. Where are we going today? And I go, we just got to go to Walmart. She goes, okay, I'm just going to put a hat on then. You know, because you can go to Walmart and look like whatever you want to. But I'm going to tell you something. People are judging you. And if you're not careful, people are taking pictures of you and putting you on social media. And they'll go, look at what I found at Walmart. And it may be a picture of you. But God is using you to be an example of his love and his compassion and his son. So when people say, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian, listen to this phrase before you finish turning me all the way off. What they're actually saying is this. I thought you were supposed to be Christ-like. I thought that I was supposed to look to you to find Christ, because that's what they're doing. So instead of you blowing up and getting mad and saying all kinds of things, maybe you should go, you know what? 
You're exactly right. Will you forgive me? I've not been a good example. Will you forgive me? And go on. Because they need to see that. How can we be faithful in our character, in our person, and all that? And even when people criticize us. I've said this hundreds of times. I'm working on a book that I'm trying to write about this. And, and, and I've got two of the chapters and stuff. But don't listen to the hecklers in the crowd. The hecklers are trying to get you off your game. That's what they always want to do. They sit over in the... Basketball was the worst for me. Football, at least, you couldn't hardly hear them because you were outside. Basketball is like a beast. Basketball is a beast where they're over there going, Hey, what was your number, Trey? Five. Hey, five. I know you. You know, you stink. That ain't what they say. Okay? I remember Trey pop a three, and he'd go down, the, and, and I'd get on. I'd, I'd, don't do that. He'd shoot his bow and arrow. You know, and, you know, I'd go, that's my church member. You know, no, I didn't do that. But we all have that thing. And they'd come back, and if he would brick one or miss one, they'd go, air ball, because they're heckling you and heckling you. And if you let that get in your mind and in your brain, you know what happens? You totally ruin the game. You totally mess up, and that's what people want to do. They're going to try to come at you and poke at you and prod you because why? They're trying to get the bear in you to come out. And what you need to do is ask God to help you. How do you do that? You need to be faithful in prayer. You have to be a person that's faithful in prayer. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this without meeting God every day. The Bible says in verse number 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chambers toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And look at these words, as he did aforetime. If those words were not there, if those last words, four words were not there, we would have a different idea or conception about who Daniel was. We would have the idea, Brother Lee, of who Daniel was, of who we try to be sometimes. People tell us, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you know what we do? We go, well, watch me. You're going to take away my right, I'll watch me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, watch me. But see, that's not the attitude of Daniel right here, Brother, Brother Daniel. It's not the attitude of Daniel because what happens is he knew that the decree was signed. He knew the writing was signed. He knew they weren't going to change it. He went to his house. He opened up the windows, the windows being open. He didn't open them, but they were being open. And he faced toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. Why did he do it three times a day, Brother David? Because he was praying at the morning sacrifice, at the noon sacrifice, and at the evening sacrifice. They were sacrificing in Jerusalem as they were before, but during all of this captivity, there was no sacrifices going on. There was no temple because it was destroyed. But Daniel, every day in prayer, gave his sacrifice to the Lord by praying at the time of the morning oblation, the noon oblation, and the evening oblation. He prayed to God every single day. And if all we had was this, then it would read this way. When Daniel heard that they wrote this decree, he went into his house, burst the windows open, he kneeled down and faced Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day. And we would think, boy, look at how bold and brash Daniel was. And he wasn't going to let those people take his rights away. But we have this last portion, this last four words of this scripture right here to show us that Daniel was not doing this in a bold or brash way. Daniel was just doing exactly what he did every day. 
Daniel did not get mad about the decree. He did not get upset and form a committee and make picket signs, march up and down the road, get mad, get on the news. He didn't call Larry King. He didn't call all these people and said, you're taking our rights away and you can't make me do this and you can't make me do that. Daniel simply went to his home and he did exactly like he did aforetime. That means before the writing was ever written. See, the thing about it is, is that most Christians, not all, most Christians only get serious about prayer when someone says, you can't pray here. Then all of a sudden, their Christian rights come out of them and their super spiritualness begins to flow in them. And they go, how dare you take this right away from us? Back in the 70s, Madeline Mary O'Hara, we know, tried to get this law passed that they would not pray publicly in schools. All of this stuff was done. She's the one that everyone had blamed because she's the one that pushed the argument. And she was trying her best to get prayer out of public school. We don't need to do these things anymore. Let's all stop it. And many Christians got mad at that time and are still mad now and they want to blow up like bullfrogs and look bigger and kind of get all mad and go, you know what? You can't take prayer away from us. And what I always ask is, are you praying at home? You can't get mad about prayer not being in public school if you're not even praying at home. Right? And that's what happens is that we don't miss our water until the wells run dry. But Daniel was not doing that. Daniel was just doing like he had always done. That's why Daniel was this guy that they looked at and they said he was faithful. That he couldn't find any fault or flaw in him because why? He was consistent in everything that he did. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to character, all of that he prayed over and over and over every day. Look at verse number 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. It says, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save of thee, except of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel. If you notice this reoccurring theme, Brother David, about Daniel, that Daniel. That's what Belshazzar, the king of, of Babylon, said about him. That Are you that Daniel that was of the captivity of the Jews and, and which my father delivered from Jewry and brought you out of Judaism, they said, that Daniel. And it seems like all of their close-knit people, that they could never get along together unless it was to go against Daniel. Now they're all like, you know him, that Daniel. Who is that Daniel? The one that you thought about putting in charge of over the whole realm. Who? That Daniel, the one that you say is faithful. That Daniel that we can find no fault in. Said that Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king which heard these words, look at this, look at this, don't miss it, was sore displeased with himself. This king here was not dissatisfied in Daniel. He was dissatisfied in his own self. He says, and he sought to do what? He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He, he was so upset about what he had passed. And for some, some mistaken reason, he had 
forgotten about Daniel. That's why I believe that Daniel was not present when they held their meeting that said all of the princes, all of the presidents, all of the ones have said we need to do this. That's why I don't believe Daniel was present because had Daniel been present during that time, then obviously the king would have noticed him and also obviously why? Because he was one of the greatest people that he knew. He wanted to put him over the whole realm. But he would have also spoken at that time that I am commanded by my God, my Lord, to pray unto him. I, I cannot, like Peter says, we cannot but speak the things of God. We, we can't stop preaching about him. You can beat us, you can put us in prison, but we cannot help but speak the things of God because we would rather please God than please men. Daniel would have spoken up, but the Bible says right here that the king was grieved because, why? Somehow Daniel had slipped through it all and he had forgotten about Daniel and his devotion to his God. And he set his heart on doing what? To deliver him, to save him from this horrible thing and this horrible decree. He worked all day, the Bible says, till the sun went down to try to deliver him. Then look at what these men said. Then these men assembled to the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Don't forget, we cannot change the law. You pass the law, you've got to do this. If you're a believer, know that criticism is going to come. But please listen to me. Because some preachers are not telling you this. If you're a believer, persecution is also going to come. You're going to have trials. You're going to face difficulties. You're not going to be exempt from suffering anything here on this earth. And the Bible even says you can count on it coming. Listen, we need to be faithful in the times of persecution. How can you be? I watched a video this past week that Brother Craig sent me. And it was a man that was praying with his family and a missionary. And he prayed. He told his children, he said, if they take me and they kill me. And listen to these words. He said, I'll be in the presence of God. But it would do me no greater joy than to know that you stayed faithful in your commitment to God no matter what they may do to you, even if they hang you. You say, how could you say that? Because being faithful to God in all things is what he wants us to do in everything. We can't just be these people that are on the mountaintop and we pray and we sing and all that, and then when we go through suffering or persecution or something wrong that we just crumble and totally fall apart and just jump off the boat. The Bible says, look at verse number 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. Right, because an 80-year-old man's going to climb out. Right? How crazy. It says, and the king sealed it with his own signet, signet, and it says, and with the signet of his Lord, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went into his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither was instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose early in the morning, or very early in the morning, and went in haste to the den of lions. He ran out there, and when he came to the den, he cried with a a lamentable voice and said unto Daniel, he says, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, Servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able able to deliver thee from the lions? You remember I told you you're going to suffer persecution. You can count on it. John, Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have peace in the world. You shall have tribulation. 
You will have tribulation. Count on it. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Second Timothy, Paul tells us we'll have persecution. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14 says it. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and God and of God resteth upon you and on on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Listen, God says that we shouldn't just, count, God says we should count on persecution, but it shouldn't make us crumble and fall. Persecution will come. And so here's the other thing that we need to be faithful and know that it's going to happen. People will talk, people will even do things against Christians, but we need to be faithful in our praise to the Lord. We need to be consistent to know who gets all the glory. It's not us. It's not us. When we go through a trying time and they go, man, I don't know how you made it. Sis, I don't know how you made it. You can't go. Well, I just pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I just hung in there. No, because the truth is, is you can't make it through all of that persecution and all that trial. If it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side, David said, and Israel said, we would have all died. The Egyptian army would have come in and overtaken. We need to be faithful in our honor and in our praise. Look at what Daniel did. It's the only time Daniel speaks in this whole chapter. It's the only words he speaks. He doesn't go over there and tell those people you're wrong. He doesn't tell King Darius he's wrong. He doesn't tell those governors and princes that they're wrong. This is the only time he speaks in this chapter. Look what it says. Then Daniel said unto the king, out of the den of lions, look at these words, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. Why? For as much as before him innocency, innocency was found in me. He said, God saw my innocence. God saw that I was not in the wrong and he spared me. And he says, and I want you to know, also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. He said, and you should know that in your eyes, they said that I was going against you. They said that I was coming against your decree because I was praying to my God. He said, King, I've not disobeyed you. I've not dishonored you. I've not spoken ill against you and done all those things. Daniel said, I didn't go into my home and say, well, I'm going to do this. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, I'll show them. I'll open the windows up and I'll even pray louder so that they hear me. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel said, I cannot but speak the things of God. I cannot but pray to God. I have to do this. But king, I have done you no hurt. I'm not against you is what he's saying. And he says, then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take up Daniel out of the den. Listen, Daniel in verse 23 says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed his God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. It's perfect peace that Daniel had. It was the peace that the Bible says in Psalms chapter 112, look, it says he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. And when he hears evil things, why? Because his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. 
Our heart needs fixing. Our hearts need to be fixed. Come on, Brandon. And what it means is, is that they need to be set. They need to be fixed on what is right and what is honorable. So that brings us to the last thing. Daniel is faithful in his example or his pattern. You know, somebody asked years ago, I had, we had a preacher friend, and they asked him to sing a song. He was an evangelist. He said, I can't sing. He said, I was cut out to sing. He said, I just got sewed up wrong. And you think about it. It's a pattern. And the example of that pattern, Miss Patricia, Teresa, and others that do this, the quilting and the sewing and stuff, they know that there's a, a pattern that you've kind of, you have to follow. You may invent new patterns and it may be new to you, but yet there's always going to be this, this pattern to follow. The same way with building a building. There are blueprints, codes, restrictions, things that you have to look at, and you can't, you just don't get to go, well, you know what, I don't like that idea. <laughs> just No, you're going to have to speak to the one who drew the blueprint, and it's going to have to be redrawn and revised and fixed. And what we need to do is not this. We don't need to get mad at the world when they look at us and they judge us and they say, I thought you were a Christian. No, because all they're doing is looking at a supposedly blueprint. You know, before you go out and share the Romans roadmap, Romans 3.23, 5.8, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Before you go and share the Hebrews and the James roadmap, all those things, you really need to know that you're the roadmap that they're looking at. You need to know that it's not your words that you say. When you speak and say those words, they take it in, but they take it into the mind, and now they've got their eye on you. And they're watching you. They're looking at you. Microscopes, binoculars. And then when they see you faithfully carrying out what you've said, then it moves from here down to here. And they go, that's a woman of God. And that is a man of God. Even lost people. I've dealt with people who say, I don't want anything to do with Christ. I've stood by them beside caskets of my dear friends who were Christians. And I heard those lost people say, that was the greatest example of a godly person that I've ever known. They, Miss Kim, they didn't even want Christ. They don't even want God. Some of them don't even believe in God. But when they see that person in the end, I've heard them make the statement about that person that that was the most godliest person I've ever known. And you want to go, how would you know that? You, you don't believe in God. But see, the thing is, is that they desire to. And the example had been set for them. Man, don't you want that said about you? I know that I want it said about myself. Listen to what the Bible says and we'll close. And Daniel the king, excuse me, and the king, in Daniel 6, 24. And the king commanded and they brought those men uh, <coughs> which had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions. Them and their children, their wives and the lions had the mastery of them and break their, all their bones in pieces and ever there came at, of the bottom of the den. And some of you look at this and go, man, where's the mercy in that? Where's the grace in that? Why didn't they just stop that? Because the law of the Medes and Persians could not be altered. And because of what they had done, now it commanded them that they should be going into there because they had lied and deceived the king. And according to the law of the Medes and Persians, you can't change it. If God was with them and wanted to be gracious, he could have shut the mouths of those lions also at that time. But 
They sowed all of this, and this is what they reaped. And the Bible says, and then, then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on all or dwell in all the earth. Look at these words. It's the same words as Nebuchadnezzar. Peace be multiplied unto you. Perfect peace. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast, consistent, faithful character forever. And his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. And it says he delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The faithfulness of Daniel's God and the faithfulness of Daniel himself to his God has moved the heart of another king. It moved the heart of Nebuchadnezzar and it moved the heart of Darius now. It's moving. You say, Brother Steve, what should we do? Listen to 1 Thessalonians. Please, don't turn it off. It says, and the very God of peace will sanctify you holy. You see that? Sister Jennifer, you see that? It says, the, very, the God of peace will sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body would be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying here in Thessalonians, I pray, church, that you would be a good example, a faithful example of what a Christian is. Look at what he says here in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. You know what that word is? Merimano in the Greek. It means don't worry or be anxious for anything. But look at these words. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Daniel was not anxious in the lines then and worried. No, he had that perfect peace. Or as we started out, Miss Martha, perfect peace. Because why? Because God stopped the mouths of the lions. Listen to the end of the scripture. And the peace of God. This is a phrase right here. And in the Greek, it's this. It's Arin Theos. Arin Theos. I was going to joke around and talk about, you know, it's not Irene. Or Eileen. Eileen is when, when the lady's leg is short than the other. That's what we name them, is Eileen. It's not that. It's Erin Theos. Erin Theos. You say, what is that, Brother Steve? It means the peace of God. It means this right here. The assured salvation of Christ that causes us to fear nothing from God and be content. Just that phrase, the peace of God, it means this. And the peace of God uh, that assures us of salvation through Christ and brings us no fear from God and contentment in our life. Look what it says. It says that it passes all of our understanding. We can't even understand it in our mind. And then hear these words and we'll close. He shall keep you. It shall keep you. That word is phoreo. And it means to guard you or to protect you by a military guard, guard to prevent a hostile invasion and to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from being taken over. That's a big thing. Let me break that down. 
When it says it shall keep you, it means that God literally in your times of persecution, in your times of praise, it means that God will literally put a guard around you. It shall keep you. The peace of God will walk around you and will keep you and will keep the enemy away and not let the enemy come in. And it will keep the city safe, you being the city, amen, from being besieged by the devil. It means the peace of God. That's why McCamey's and all of those, that, that lady, that singer years ago, uh, was Southern Gospel lady. I can't remember her first name. We call her Miss McCamey. She'd get so excited. And, and she, what was her name? Peg McCamey. And she'd do her handkerchief like that. Hey, listen, and that's why the Wendy Bagwell and the Sunlighters, they would sing that song, Walk Around Me, Jesus. Walk around. And what it was saying is the peace of God. You may try to get in, but you can't get in because the peace of God shall keep me. Amen. And it doesn't say that it just shall keep me. Look at what it says. It will keep your hearts and minds. How? Through Jesus Christ. It, let them talk about you. Let them put us down. Let them pass all the laws that they want. People need Jesus. We're so wrapped up in what we think they're taking away from us, and they can't take it away. They can't, Brandon. They can't take it away because why? The peace of God's walking around you. And he's keeping you safe. Brother Steve, I'm worried about what our world is coming to. Absolutely. You know what? The reason you're worried is because you think it's coming to sin. Adrian Rogers says this world's coming to Jesus someday. This world's not going. Listen, this world belongs to him. It is the Lord's and the earth is his footstool. Amen. The Bible says he will guard you and keep you. And if you have that, you'll be able to sleep like a baby in a lion's den and have perfect peace. Amen. Some of us don't have it. And what I mean is, not salvation, I'm talking about perfect peace. You don't understand what you have in him. And you're letting the hecklers disturb you and mess you up. They're calling you out. Hey, 5. Hey, 23. Hey, 4. Hey, all that. And they're calling your number out. Hey, Taco. Hey, so-and-so. Hey, Cubby. Hey, this and all that. And you're letting all that junk get to you. And what you need to realize is that God has set a garrison of guards around you. And he will keep you through all of those times. And you need to keep yourself. Be a faithful man and a woman of God. Lord, we thank you. Please, Lord God, let this be more than a message. Let this be more than just preached words. Please, Lord God, if it doesn't sink into the hearts of the people, it is absolutely nothing. And Lord, you know that I can't do that part. I can't do that part as much as energetic and and passionate that I am. I can't make people see this. I want to, but I can't. And God, I pray that you'll help us Help all the Christians that are here today. If we've been a poor example of your son, Jesus Christ, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Because if the world doesn't see Jesus in us and they don't ever come to church and they don't ever come to a revival meeting, how are they going to see you? How are they going to see your son? How, Lord? If they don't see us at school and at work, all these different places that we go, and they never come to church and never come to a meeting, how, how will they see you? They have to see you through us. God, please forgive us of a poor example that we may have set out to people in a poor character.